Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast. This podcast is devoted to anyone who's passionate about sports and who wants to become the best athlete they can be, or is the coach or parent of such an athlete. Whatever sport you play, your age, the level you perform at, or your ability, you probably already know that the mind plays an essential role in achieving your sports goals. Your challenge, in all likelihood, is that you haven't figured out how to ensure that your mind works for you rather than against you when you practice and compete. That's where my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast comes in. During the course of this podcast, I'll introduce you to everything I know and believe about mental training, from my decades of work with many of the world's most successful athletes, as well as my own high-level athletic experience as an alpine ski racer, tennis player, secondary black belt in karate, marathon runner, and Ironman triathlete. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with the information you need so that when you walk onto the field of play, you are as mentally prepared as you can be to perform your best and achieve your sports goals. So let's get started. The reality is it's become almost a cliche. Everyone seems to agree with the legendary New York Yankee, Yogi Berra, who said, baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. Though certainly lacking in logic and math acumen, this statement seems to encompass what most athletes believe that the mind plays a vital role in sports success. But how important is it really to athletes and coaches? Let's find out by asking several essential questions. Whenever I speak to athletes and coaches, I ask them how important the mind is to athletic success compared to, say, the physical and technical aspects of sport. Is it less important, as important, or more important? There are always a few in the audience who have the chutzpah to challenge me by saying that the mind isn't that important. What matters, they say, is natural talent, physical fitness, and practice skills. Gratifyingly and thankfully, most members of the audience say the mind is as important as fitness and technique, and a surprisingly large number believe that the mind is actually more important. Though I so appreciate this last sentiment, given that my life's passion is sports psychology, I don't even believe the mind is more important. Why? Well, because you may have all the mental strength in the world, but if you don't have the physical and technical capabilities to execute in your sport, you have no chance of success. You have to be able to hit the tennis or golf ball, throw the football or baseball, sink the basket, or run, ride, or swim at a certain pace to be successful. The reality is, is that physical, technical, and mental are all important. But the mind is undoubtedly an essential piece of the sports performance puzzle that's often undervalued and just plain neglected. Consider the best athletes, male or female, in any sport. Are they all physically gifted? Absolutely. You don't get to such a high level without a remarkable set of genes. In fact, I would argue that to get to the highest level of sports, they all have to be genetic freaks of nature. Are they all in exceptional physical condition? For sure. Would Lionel Messi be considered the best soccer player in the world if he wasn't in peak physical condition in terms of strength and stamina and agility? It's simple. Athletes couldn't perform at the highest level of sport unless they had the requisite fitness to meet the grueling demands of their sport. Are the best athletes in every sport all technically exceptional? Undoubtedly, would Serena Williams be one of the greatest tennis players in history if she had major technical flaws in her serve, forehand, or backhand? Of course not. Any sport that involves skills, which means just about all of them, whether golf, tennis, baseball, hockey, track and field, or soccer, makes development of those skills mandatory for success. Do all of these athletes have the best equipment? Undoubtedly. Could the 2015 Formula One driving champion Lewis Hamilton have emerged victorious in a 1972 Chevrolet Impala? Of course not. Without the best equipment, extraordinary performance in a sport is simply impossible. 
In fact, at the highest level of sport, everyone has it all. And at any level of sport, whether collegiate, youth, or even rec league, everyone has generally similar fitness skills and equipment. So, on the day of a competition, what separates the winners from the also-rans? All these other factors being equal, it must be what goes on between their ears, inside their mind. I'll also add that in the greater scheme of life, I could argue that the mental side of sport is vastly more important than the physical fitness and technical prowess, at least for young athletes. Why, you ask? Because realistically speaking, relatively few athletes will make it to the top of their sport. But all the attitudes, mental tools, and life lessons that athletes learn from their sport, for example, motivation, confidence, focus, perseverance, resilience, the ability to handle pressure, gosh, the list goes on, will serve them well in all aspects of their lives when they enter adulthood whether school, relationship, or careers. Says Cleet Boyer, a legendary Major League Baseball player and two-time World Series champion, quote, the thing about the game at this level is that there is very little difference in physical skills between players. The real difference between them is upstairs. It's what's in your head that makes the difference, unquote. Now, having established the mental side of sport is at least as important as other contributors to athletic success, I then asked these same athletes how many hours a day they spend on their conditioning or technical training. If they're all serious, they'll answer anywhere from, say, two to six hours a day. I then ask, if the mind is so important, are they also spending that amount of time on their mental training? In every case, a silence falls over the group of athletes as they're confronted with this obvious contradiction. To ease their discomfort, I tell them that they do mental training all the time without even realizing it. For example, they motivate themselves think positively, and attempt to focus. But they have to admit that their efforts at mental preparation pale in comparison to the time and energy they devote to other aspects of their sport. And this imbalance can hold them back from performing their best and achieving their sports goals. So why isn't mental training treated the same as physical and sport training? This question has been a source of immense frustration for me for many years and others who work in the field of sports psychology. If everyone in sports says that the mind is so important, why does it receive so little attention? To be sure, sports psychology does have a presence in most sports. There are sports psychologists and mental trainers who work with many professional athletes and teams, as well as Olympic and collegiate teams. And more and more are working with youth programs in many sports around the U.S. and throughout the world. Yet, when compared to its physical and technical counterparts, sports psychology clearly has second-class status. While all serious sports programs and teams at every level of competition have full-time technical and conditioning coaches, few have full-time sports psychologists or mental trainers. Furthermore, when sports psychology is offered to athletes, its presence is usually vastly different from the rigorous physical conditioning regimens and sophisticated technical regimens that athletes at every level of sport routinely benefit from. Let's consider what makes physical conditioning and technical develop effective, and then compare it to the use of mental training in most sports settings today. Three key elements come to mind for me. First, physical and technical training programs don't just touch on a few areas that impact sports performance. Rather, they're comprehensive in design, aimed at ensuring that every contributor to sports success is addressed and developed maximally. For example, conditioning programs include strength, agility, stamina, and flexibility. Technical progressions include, depending on the sport, stance, balance, upper body position, footwork, and much more. Second, when athletes work out, they don't just walk into the gym and do random strength or agility exercises. Instead, they engage in organized workouts based on a structured program that coaches believe will result in optimal physical preparedness for their sport. 
Similarly, when athletes go onto the field, court, course, hill, or whatever their performance venue, they don't just play around and hope to improve. Instead, they follow a technical progression based on their stage of development. In sum, both the physical and technical components of athletic development have an organized program comprised of a framework and a process that guides athletes systematically toward their goals. Third, athletes wouldn't get more fit if they worked out every few weeks, and their their sports skills wouldn't improve if they only practiced once a month. What enables athletes to get stronger and more technically skilled in this sport is that they engage in physical and technical training consistently, day in and day out, week in and week out, Month in and month out, athletes regularly put time and energy into their conditioning and technical efforts. So using these three criteria, a comprehensive, structured, and consistent program, it's pretty obvious that the mental side of sport isn't getting the attention it's due. Yes, many athletes get some exposure to sports psychology, either through contact with sports psychologists or from their coaches. But based on my own experience and feedback I've gotten from thousands of athletes, coaches, and parents around the world, this exposure lacks the comprehensiveness, structure, and consistency that we've agreed is essential for maximizing its value to athletic development. So, is there a clear answer to my original question? That is, why isn't mental training treated the same as physical and sport training? I don't think so, but I do have a few theories. First, though sports psychology has been a field of study for more than 100 years, it has not been a traditional part of training for most sports. Old attitudes, habits, and methods die hard, and new approaches to improving athletic performance are not readily accepted or adopted. Perhaps it'll take a new generation of coaches who have been exposed to sports psychology as competitors and then in their coaches' education for this tide to turn toward wider acceptance and more consistent use of mental training with athletes. Second, the reality is that the best athletes in the world have done pretty darn well without formal mental training. They simply develop the mental skills through their training and competitive experiences. In contrast, I don't think there has ever been a successful athlete who didn't have a rigorous conditioning or technical program, at least not in the last 40 years. As a result, the need for structured mental training may not seem great. I would suggest, however, that for every successful athlete who develops mental toughness on their own, there are one or more who are equally talented and motivated to become successful, but need help in developing their mental capabilities. Additionally, more and more athletes from every corner of the earth are entering sport and pursuing the highest level of success. The competition for the coveted spots at the top of the pyramid has never been more competitive than in previous generations. Due to this increased competitiveness, training has become more scientific and sophisticated, and athletes are looking for every competitive advantage they can find. Mental training is one powerful way for athletes to get a leg up on their competitors. Third, psychology lacks the concreteness of conditioning and technical training. You can readily see the areas in need of improvement physically or technically. For example, the amount of weight lifted in the gym or technical problems revealed on video. The mental side of sports is not so easily seen, quantified, or measured. As a result, it's harder to gauge where athletes are in different aspects of their mental preparation, what areas they need to work on, and any improvement that is made mentally. This lack of clarity alone makes it more difficult for athletes to appreciate, commit to, and see the benefits of mental training. Finally, and quite sadly, sports psychology can suffer from quote-unquote guilt by association with the broader field of psychology, which still carries the stigma that only messed up people seek professional help. This perception, however inaccurate it is, can prevent athletes, coaches, and parents from seeing mental preparation for what it is, namely an essential contributor to sports performance that must be developed proactively. This fear can also scare them away from getting sports psychology help when it's needed.
I predict that it will take some time before our sports culture pays the same attention to mental preparation as it does to its physical and technical counterparts. But as the stakes get higher and higher and the competition gets tougher, from the developmental level up to the world and professional stage, athletes and coaches will look for every opportunity to gain that competitive edge that separates success from failure. And as the limits of physical conditioning and technique are reached, it will be both natural and necessary to leverage all that sports psychology has to offer athletes. Only then will sports psychology, at long last, stand as equal partners with physical conditioning and sport training as athletes pursue their sports goals. But if you want to gain an advantage over your competitors now, you shouldn't wait until there's a shift in how your sport approaches mental preparation. You should start now to make it simply a part of what you do to strive toward your athletic goals. And in doing so, you will have that competitive advantage that every athlete looks for. So one of the most popular phrases in sport is peak performance. It's become a part of not only our sports vocabulary, but also the gold standard for what athletes should achieve. Peak performance has also extended its reach into other performance areas, including business and the military. Peak performance is typically thought of as athletes performing their very best, as being at the top of their game. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Who wouldn't want to achieve peak performance? And when I came out of graduate school, peak performance was what I wanted athletes to achieve. But as I became more experienced as a consultant and as a writer, I came to appreciate the power of words and how important it is that the words I use are highly descriptive of what I want to communicate to my athletes. So I decided that peak performance was not descriptive of what I wanted my athletes to achieve. I saw several problems with peak performance. First, if you think of a peak, a peak is very small, so you can't stay there for very long. Would you be satisfied if you had one good competition and several poor ones? Also, once the peak is reached, there's only one way to go, down. And as with most peaks, the drop is usually quite steep. Have you experienced those big swings in competitive performance where one week you're totally in the zone and on your game, and the next week you're completely out of it? Third, you may arrive at your peak too early or too late, missing a great chance for success. Have you ever felt the frustration of lost opportunity because you weren't mentally on for your big event? So I needed a phrase that accurately described what I wanted athletes to achieve. And I struggled for several years, unable to find such a phrase that really worked for me. Then one day I had one of those rare meetings of timing and readiness. I was walking through the meat section of a supermarket and saw a piece of beef with a sticker on it that read prime cut. A light bulb went off in my head. I had one of those aha experiences. I returned to my office and looked up the word prime in the dictionary. It was defined as of the highest quality or value of the highest quality or value. I had finally found my phrase, prime performance, or in this case, prime sport, which I believe was in fact highly descriptive of what I wanted my athletes to achieve. So what does prime sport mean? Well, I define it as performing at a consistently high level under the most challenging conditions. Let me repeat that. Prime sport is defined as performing at a consistently high level under the most challenging conditions. There are two important words in this definition. First, consistently. I'm not interested if you can have only one or two great performances and some poor ones. That's not enough for you to be truly successful. What makes the great ones great is that they're able to train and compete at a high level, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, all season long for years on end. Now, being consistent doesn't mean never having some variation in the quality of your training and competitive performances. The reality is of being a human being, as well as an athlete, is that you're gonna have swings in your performances. There are going to be highs in which you're completely healthy and rested, 
motivated, confident, and focused, resulting in outstanding performances. And inevitably, there are going to be lows in which you're tired, sick, stressed, distracted, unmotivated, and lacking confidence, all of which, of course, will result in a decline in performance. Being consistent does mean training and competing with minimal ups and downs instead of the large swings in performance that are so common among athletes. So consistency is the first key. The second important word in that definition of prime sport is challenging. I'm not impressed if you can perform well under ideal competitive conditions against an easy feel of opponents in an unimportant competition. Anyone can do that. What makes the great athletes great is their ability to perform their best under the worst possible conditions, whether bad weather, terrible field conditions, or a hostile crowd, against the toughest field imaginable in the biggest competition of their lives. What also makes the great ones great is their ability to transcend fatigue, illness, injury, pressure, and other challenges, rise to the occasion of a big event, and perform at their highest level. So a question you may ask is, where does prime sport come from? Though I'll be focusing on the mental contributors, the mind is only one necessary piece of the prime sport puzzle. You must also be at a high level of physical health, including being well-conditioned, well-rested, eating a balanced diet, and free from injury and illness. Prime sport also is impossible if you're not technically and tactically sound in your sport. If you're physically, technically, tactically, and mentally prepared, then you will have the ability to achieve prime sport. So here's another question for you. Have you ever experienced prime sport? Let me describe what it's like. First, it's effortless. It's comfortable, easy, and natural. You don't have to try to experience prime sport. Second, it's automatic. The body does what it knows how to do, and there's no mental interference. You also experience sharpened senses, seeing, hearing, and feeling everything more acutely than normal. There's also a thing that I call time shift, where everything seems to slow down, enabling you to react more quickly. You also experience total focus. You're completely absorbed in the experience without external distractions or internal clutter. You also experience boundless energy. All of your energy is directed entirely toward your efforts without any energy wasted on negativity or obstacles. Finally, you experience what I call prime integration, where the different parts of the sports experience, physical, technical, tactical, and mental, all come together and work together to help you perform your best. Now, if you can achieve prime sport and in doing so, experience consistently high performance under the most challenging conditions, you will fully express your passion for and your ability in your sport, and importantly, take a giant step toward your athletic goals and dreams. With this new understanding of prime sport, my next question is, what game are you competing in? And I put game in quotes because it's gonna have several meanings here. When you enter the athletic arena on any given day, you will in fact be trying to win three competitions, whether games, races, meets, or events. Now, I don't mean literally three competitions. You'll see where I'm going here. The obvious competition is the one that occurs against the rest of the field, the goal of which is to beat your opponents and get the best result possible. But before you can perform your best in that competition, there's another competition you must win, and it's not the one you think quite yet. I'm talking about the competition against the elements, whether it's the weather, the course, the court, or the field conditions that do everything they can to beat you. These conditions, whether heat or cold, rain or snow, dry or muddy, smooth or rough, seem to conspire against you to prevent you from achieving your goals on that day. But to win against the elements, the most important competition you must prevail in is the mental one in which you compete against yourself. You have to win the mental game. 
Here's a simple reality. If you don't win the mental game, you can't win the game against the conditions or ultimately against your competitors. So a fundamental question is, how do you win the mental game? Well, this is what Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast is all about. So let's begin to wrap up this podcast with a very big question. What does it take to achieve athletic success? This is the question I've been exploring throughout my career in attempting to help athletes to achieve their athletic goals. My life's work has been devoted to answering this question so that anyone who's willing to pursue their dreams can find success. But in recent years, I've come to the conclusion that this question is not the question that should be asked. Athletic success is, of course, the highly desired destination, but in most people's minds, it lies at the end of a journey, whether earning a college athletic scholarship, winning an Olympic gold medal, or attaining some other sought-after athletic achievement. Also, athletic success can have as many means as the people who pursue it. For a few, success means the tangible results of victory, such as a long career as a professional athlete. For some, it means competing for an NCAA Division I school. For others, it's playing for a high school varsity team. And still for others, success may be a bit more ethereal. For example, developing a love of a lifetime sport, gaining a certain level of competency in a sport, enjoying the camaraderie of being a part of a team, or persevering in the face of the normal physical and mental challenges of sports participation. As a result, the pursuit of athletic success is the ultimate goal. It should not be the focus of your efforts. Why? Well, here's a simple reality. If you can learn how to systematically pursue your athletic goals and perform your best, some degree of success is inevitable. How much success? Well, that depends on factors both within and outside of your control, including genes, time commitment, opportunity, and support. But I go under the assumption that if you continue to perform at your highest level possible and strive for success, good things will happen. So, instead of focusing on success, the challenge is to figure out the process by which success will result and how you can then master that process. In other words, your fundamental goal should be to maximize your efforts and your performances. Certainly, there are many contributors to athletic success, including physical fitness, nutrition, technique and tactics, equipment, and of course the mind. Over the years, I and others have identified mental factors that we believe are necessary to perform at your highest level and achieve success in sports. For example, motivation, confidence, resilience, emotions, practice habits, focus, and many others. Yet, I've always felt that these explanations were, standing alone, too simplistic to adequately explain such a complex phenomenon as athletic performance. What's been lacking in my view is a means of pulling together all the many and disparate influences into a comprehensive and cohesive framework that athletes could understand and act on. So the culmination of this thinking has led to the development of what I call my prime sports system that offers a comprehensive and deep understanding of all mental aspects related to athletic performance. My prime performance system is comprised of five broad areas that are essential for athletic success that will be the focus for this ongoing podcast. My Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast is a challenge to you to take an essential yet often neglected piece of the sports success puzzle and make it a priority in your athletic efforts. Let me elaborate in several ways here. I work with a number of athletes each year, from juniors with big dreams to pros and Olympians who are realizing their dreams. What has become abundantly clear to me is that once the foundation of fitness, technique, tactics, and equipment are established, it's the mind that separates athletes who achieve their goals from those who don't. This occurs at two levels. Having the right mentality and preparation enables you to get the most out of your training by being able to stay focused and avoid frustration. 
and on the day of a competition, being able to stay positive, calm, and withstand the pressure, whether self-imposed or external, will enable you to perform your best when it counts the most. Additionally, of the athletes who come to see me, the number one reason is because they perform well in training, but they can't seem to translate that into successful competitive performances and results. And they don't understand why they can't, and that is incredibly frustrating for them. So, what makes competitions different from training? Objectively, there's often little difference. A pitcher throwing to a hitter in practice is no different than pitching in a game. Same height mound, same distance to the home plate, same strike zone. A 100-meter swim in practice is the same distance and conditions as in a race. Yet, there's one very dramatic difference. Results matter in competitions. And that difference occurs entirely in your mind. Your challenge is either to ignore the difference or embrace the difference. Have I convinced you yet that you should make mental training a priority in your sports preparations and that you should approach it and that you should approach it in a comprehensive, structured, and consistent way to gain its many benefits? Certainly, you should, of course, continue to work on your fitness and technique. But if you commit to an equally rigorous mental training program, I can say with confidence that you will be even more prepared to find success and achieve your sports goals. A final point I want to make before I conclude this first episode of my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast. Though focusing on the psychology of sport, it isn't just about performing your best and achieving your goals in your sport. The reality is, is that relatively few athletes reach great heights in their sport. For example, becoming a professional or Olympic athlete. Yet you, like every other athlete pursuing their sports dreams, can find your own personal greatness regardless of how far you go in your sport by giving your fullest effort and fully realizing whatever ability you have. And perhaps more importantly, you can continue to use the many lessons you learn from sport and apply them to your education and career to help you find success in another performance setting and attain your longer-term life goals. As you listen to Train Your Mind for Athletic Success, yes, definitely apply what you learned to your sport. At the same time, keep in mind that this podcast isn't about sports skills, sports psychology skills, or even performance skills. Rather, what I talk about in my podcast is aimed at giving you the insights, information, and tools you need to find your own personal greatness in the game called life. The purpose of my Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast is to act as your guide on your journey in developing the mental capabilities that you need to achieve your athletic and life goals. This process will take you through the five steps of my prime performance system, in which you'll learn about the attitudes you need to hold, the obstacles you must remove, the preparation you must do, the mental muscles you must strengthen, and the tools you need to put into your mental toolbox. And most importantly, my podcast will show you many practical strategies and tools you can use to alleviate any weaknesses you may have and to help you fully develop yourself mentally as an athlete. So what's the goal of my podcast? As an elite athlete who has practiced what I preach as I pursued my own sports goals, and as a professional who's devoted my career to helping athletes perform their best, my goal for you is to be mentally prepared to bring high performance and athletic success within your reach as you pursue your sports dreams. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 1 of Train Your Mind for Athletic Success. And be on the lookout for Episode 2 in the near future.